0: on the fruit of the Spirit. And tonight we're going to talk about patience. So it's a little bit out of order, but it's going to be fun. Now, patience has to do with waiting. So we're going to talk about patience and racing. And racing is a competitive sport where the goal is to win. So it's interesting. We're going to talk about one subject that has to do with waiting, and we're going to talk about another concept that has to do with being competitive and winning. It's going to be fun how these two work together. So Galatians chapter five, verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit, the result of his presence within us. I wanna pause right there just for a second. The fruit of the spirit, we're not learning these so that way we can modify our behavior. We're learning these so that way our heart is transformed. So these are produced by the spirit which is within us. Is love, unselfish concern for others, which we talked about last week, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. So as you produce the fruits of the Spirit, nobody's going to jail. You can't get in trouble for producing these. There's no law against these, there's no limit on how much of this that um, the Holy Spirit's gonna produce in your life. So it's completely and absolutely freedom. So patience isn't how long we wait, it's how we wait. So what does it even mean to wait? You know, I read several times in the Bible where it says to wait patiently on the Lord, to wait on the Lord and your strength will be renewed. I I, I see it many times. So what does it mean to really, to, to wait? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? We're gonna answer these questions and I believe the answers are gonna clear up a lot of confusion, but here are the objectives that Jesus and I were going over. And it's gonna incorporate patience in all three. I'm not gonna really go through them in this order. They're all gonna be intertwined into the message tonight. We're gonna expose the enemy's strategy that he uses to deceive us. We're gonna empower the new identity that we have in Jesus. And we're gonna equip us to experience the fullness of God. The fruit of the Spirit is the characteristics of the nature of God that is produced within us by the Holy Spirit as we remain in Jesus. I'll say that again. It's the characteristics of the nature of God produced within us by the Holy Spirit as we remain in Jesus. So we must understand, it's about the entire Bible and everything that we're doing in this Christian walk. God's primary purpose is that we be like Jesus, that we be like his beloved son. So that overriding motive is involved in everything that we're learning, everything that we're doing in this Christian life. He's teaching us grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth, so God's teaching us grace and truth. That we're made in his image, that we're fashioned in his likeness. Listen, we live in him because we're learning to persist in his nature and his likeness above the circumstances that we face. You guys get what that's saying, right? So we've got circumstances, we've got problems, we've got things in our life that are coming against us every single day. But what God is calling us into, this relational space, is that he's given us his likeness, his nature, and that we're gonna persist in that nature above what our circumstances are telling us. So what we're really doing is we're forming our reality based on grace and truth or the finished work of the cross to have a greater significance than the circumstances that are screaming so loudly at each and every one of us every day. And many times we go through the same test, right? How many of you besides me have been through the same test about 40 times? You just keep going around that mountain. It seems like, man, why can't I just get it? And then finally one day it clicks. And you're like, oh, why didn't I learn that 10 years ago? God's given us magnificent and precious promises so that way we can participate in his nature. But listen, they're not automatic. We've gotta wake up every day and decide. Are we gonna choose life or are we gonna choose death? We must choose which reality that is is going to reflect our lives and that we're gonna live in and enjoy. So the promises of God communicate his good intentions for us. God's promises is the language that God uses to influence our thinking, And God's promises compel us to respond. God's promises are motivating and inspiring us and calling us to make these choices, to walk and to participate in his divine nature. And he loves giving us these promises because the promises that God gives us, get this, they're his guaranteed outcome for us. God gives us promises and says, this is the picture of your outcome. This is truth. This is reality. This is the finished work of Jesus. This is who you really are and I invite you to walk in it. So what God's doing us is with these promises, he's guaranteeing the outcome, he's teaching us how to walk in our inheritance, he's leading us into favor, and he's exposing us to his goodness. And the brilliant thing about this is that he leaves us, he leaves us where we're free to enjoy the process. So God gives us everything up front his complete and total promises and his fullness. And then the only thing left to do is just enjoy the process, which is where we are gonna talk about patience. So that's why when troubles, trials and tribulations come, which Jesus said that they would, Jesus says, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world and deprived it to harm you. And it's patience that allows us to have power in that moment of choice. Because what happens is we get into the moment of choice where troubles and trials and tribulations are happening in our life, and their total motive and directive is to throw us off. What are we gonna choose in that moment? Do we have the capacity or the ability or the patience to take a pause and a break to make sure that these promises that God is giving us and his nature is more powerful than the circumstances that we're experiencing? so we won't keep going around completing the same test or failing the same test. So this is why it's so much fun to diligently seek him. The Bible says that those who come to God must do it in faith and believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. See, you know, how, how fun is that? You know, so now it's not like all these problems that are coming in our lives, they're opportunities for God to show off his goodness but we have to choose, it's not automatic. I don't know about you, but I've made a determination to search diligently for his reality to be the primary and the most important reality that I experience. Do I experience troubles, trials, and tribulations? Absolutely, we're all gonna experience that. But I'm determined to search out and to seek His good intentions for me, which are better than what I'm experiencing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and, say it with me, patience. It's not there. Through faith and patience. One more time. Through faith and patience. Okay, I'm gonna be patient with that. So it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. So God gives us promises. They're designed to give us an agreed outcome, free from any negativity. There's not one God, there's not one promise that God gives that has anything negative in it. So faith lays a hold of these promises because we're confident of his love and patience endorses the process by which we experience those promises. So we participate in the divine nature of a loving God through faith and patience. So patience endorses the process. So you look at Abraham, right? Abraham, God promised him a son. Was Abraham being patient when he slept with his handmaiden and had Ishmael? No, he was very impatient. But I think it's cool that when you read of the story in the new covenant, it doesn't list the negative things. It just says that Abraham was fully persuaded. Was he fully persuaded that God was able to do what he promised when he slept with his handmaiden? No. I'm so glad that under the new covenant, under the blood of Jesus, our mistakes and our sins aren't there. They're not recorded. Thank God. So patience endorses this process to where we experience the promise. So Abraham, to experience the promise that God had given him, his heart had to be fully persuaded. And since his heart was fully persuaded, it answers the question that we asked in the beginning. What are we doing when we wait on God? Are we really waiting on God to do something? Because Jesus says it's finished. So we're not waiting on God to do anything for us. We're not coming and waiting on God to initiate a response from Him, He's God. But what we're doing when we wait on God is we're getting in that relational space. We're focusing our attention on God with a desire to experience Him. So patience enables us to explore the wonderful possibilities of God's goodness in any given situation. So what we're doing when we're patient So we've got a a promise, by faith we're laying hold of it, but we haven't experienced that promise yet in real life. So what we're doing with patience is we're waiting in that space with God while he helps us fully persuade our hearts. But we're making the choice to get into that space with him and we'll experience these promises in our lives when we're fully persuaded. Now you remember the guy who came to Jesus who wanted his kid healed? He says, Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So we can believe a little bit in the promises of God, and all of us believe a little bit, but many of us are sick and tired and we're growing weary because we're not experiencing the promises of God in our lives because we're not fully persuaded. We've got faith, but we're not adding it with patience. So we're not experiencing the promise for our problem. So waiting means that we're choosing to focus our attention on persuading our hearts to taste and see that the Lord is good. Since we have a guaranteed outcome and an assurance that we'll reach our destination, how we get there is simply a relational experience between me and a fantastic, loving, and amazing God. So he gives us the promise, we lay hold of it by faith, and we patiently get into his space to where we're fully persuading our hearts that he's able to do what he promised and then we begin to experience it. So since this journey, this journey is a new, it's a journey into the new spiritual reality of who we are in Jesus. So we've got the destination already settled. We know where we're going. So how we get there is just a matter of enjoying God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is our destiny, which is fullness, it's inheritance. There's so many things that the Father has given us. He's lavished upon us everything that we could possibly ever need for this life and the life to come. So welcome to the kingdom. Enjoy the journey. Struggles come into your life, no big deal. You got a promise for that. Problem comes into your life unexpectedly, no big deal. There's a promise for that. Do you see what we're doing here? We're starting to elevate what God's word says in regards to his promises over our circumstances. Because if we're in Christ, so are all of our circumstances. So we have more power. We've got more authority. We've got more in us than we can possibly ever realize. And it's God's joy and it's his pleasure to help us unfold this as we journey with him. So for me, it's a race. Faith is the vehicle and patience is how we drive it. Hebrews chapter 12 says, since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, some translations say great cloud of witnesses. Is that verse up there? Well, that one's up there. That's cool. So I'm to pause there for just a second. So it gives us the idea that we're in a race. There's this huge grandstand of people that are watching us in this race. And the first person I think about is my Nana. I remember I was going to play Little League Baseball and I didn't care how loud the stands got, I could always hear her and distinguish her cheer for me over anyone else's. So I heard that. Now that you know, she's, she's gone to be with the Lord, now that I'm running the race of my life, I can still hear her cheering for me. You have loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. They're cheering for you. All the heroes of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham, David, Joseph, all these heroes of faith, they're cheering for you. So you can imagine this grandstand as you're running your race. All right, he's gonna do it today. Watch this, watch this. They're all coming, they're crowding around the grandstands. They're watching you compete. They're like, he's gonna do it today. Oh, he did it. That's great, he got it. He understands fullness. He understood what his inheritance was. He's understanding and learning who he is. Some days they're cheering and oh, he fell. That's okay, he'll get it tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day, God's mercies are new. We'll we'll cheer for him again. So it's, you know, God doesn't care how much we fail as long as we get back up. Get up, get back in the race, don't get sidelined. So I see it as a race. So since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with, say it with me, patience, the particular race that God has set before us. See, I told you it was a race. We're each in a particular race. We each have a race. So what I see here is that some translations talk about stripping off anything that slows us down or holds us up as weight. So there are things that can hinder our race. And this weight, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's religion, it's performance Christianity, it's the feeling of shame and condemnation. These things can put us into the wall, spin us out, and cause us to shipwreck our faith. So we're in a race, right? And it goes on in Hebrews there, it talks about how Jesus never gave up. Patience never gives up. I'm telling you, patience does not ever quit. So I wanna explain racing for a second. Anybody, who's familiar with NASCAR racing? Right. All right, I'm a huge NASCAR fan, and I know what you're thinking. Those guys just turn left, and that's all they do. They just go around in circles and turn left. Your life is the same. Here's how. So these guys, I mean, they're barreling down these straightaways at over 200 miles an hour, right? So the corner they're about to get into, which you think is just a simple left turn, they can't go any faster in that corner than 160 miles an hour. So something's gotta give. They can't just blast in there at 200 miles an hour and expect not to fly up and just hit the wall and crash themselves and other people. So what they're doing when they get, when they're they're racing down to that corner, they have to have a moment where they pause. They have to let off the accelerator, they have to start getting on the brake to slow down so that way they can make the corner and accelerate off so that way they can get the max speed down the next straightaway. You're tracking with me? Okay. What happens is rookie drivers who like to just go fast, they have no patience, they will press into the corner because they just wanna go fast. They just wanna go fast all the time. And what happens is because they have no patience, they will lose their momentum in the middle of the corner. Listen, our Christian lives, the races that we're running, it's all about momentum. It's all about keeping our momentum to move forward. So what we have to do in the area of patience, and why I like to see it is, patience is the beautiful pause before the rush. It's the beautiful pause before the rush. Patience gives us power, and patience gives us control. Since all the promises of God are yes and amen, they serve as the engine that keeps us moving forward regardless of opposing forces. So as we're barreling through the race of life, the engine or the power that's moving us along is the fact that all of God's promises are yes and amen. So he's inspiring us and motivating us with his divine nature. despite the opposing forces that come against us. And it's having that patience to not just press into that situation without having that beautiful pause before the rush. So patience is having the ability or the wherewithal powered by the Holy Spirit to take a brief moment to pause. Because it's not about how fast you get into the corner, it's about how fast you get out of the corner. I love racing. So these promises, they empower us to abide in his nature. So whether it's something that we experience the promise immediately, or whether it's something that we experience the promise over days or weeks, or maybe even years. Remember the primary purpose was God's developing his character and his nature within us. So he's teaching us how to be like Jesus. They encourage us to partake of the fruit of the spirit to overcome anxiety and worry. So when we experience anxiety and worry, why don't we just pause for a second, be patient and see that God has an inheritance for us that is so much bigger than the thing that's bringing us stress. It's so simple, how do we fall victim to it? We focus on Jesus, that's how we stay in the race. Too often we focus on our circumstances. We focus on the thing that's bringing us stress. Our problem is right there. It's so big because it's in front of us. And all that stress and that anxiety and those feelings, these emotions, they're real. And we can't get past the fact that God has something better. So what we're supposed to do is focus on what Jesus has done, not on what our problems are saying. Hebrews chapter 12 verse two says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We keep our eyes on Jesus. He even goes on to say, the patience that Jesus displayed, as each one of these Pharisees were coming up, spitting in his face, they're slapping him and punching him. They're telling him that the things that he does is the work of the devil. I mean, they're throwing jeers and insults. Do you know what Jesus could have done to those guys like that? Any number of things. He could have made them explode. He could have made them turn inside out. He could have done any number of things to entertain himself as a divine being. But he chose to be patient because he had a greater call in his life and he knew the promise of God was more important and more powerful than the circumstances that he found himself in. So we too can be as patient with people as Jesus was. That's what we're really doing when, it comes, when we're partaking of the fruit of the spirit. We're not only being patient with ourselves, because we need to do that, but it also helps us to be patient with other people. We too can endure any struggle. We too can never give up and never give in like Jesus. And this is the freedom that we have in Christ. Galatians chapter five, where we find the fruits of the Spirit. The whole significance of the chapter, Paul's talking about works and faith. In Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is the burden of religion, or performance Christianity. You do this, and God will accept you. You do this, and God will do this on your behalf. You jump through this hoop, God will be pleased with you. The yoke of slavery and bondage is the burden of religion which no man can bear. Religion is simply our attempt to please God. Anybody ever attempted to please God on your own? I do it every day, inadvertently. We think that some good act that we do is going to get God's attention. He's going to like us more. We talked about in our foundation series, the repentance of dead works. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We just can't do it. And we fall into the enemy's trap when we attempt to perform to earn God's favor, when we attempt to capture his attention, when we try to move him. So what happens is this. Our confidence gets built on our ability to follow the rules and how we modify our behavior. This is the trap of performance Christianity. If I talk right, act right, people are gonna think I'm right. But what happens is, as soon as something bad happens in our life, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a problem, whether it's some kind of trouble, trial, or tribulation, we automatically think, since our confidence is built on following the rules, we think, man, We just must not be pleasing to God since we're experiencing these problems, right? Anybody ever gone there mentally? What am I doing wrong? Anybody ever thought that? Oh, what did I do to get myself in this situation? Anybody ever thought that? And immediately there's this shame and this guilt that comes on. Oh, maybe we should go to church now. Maybe we should start going back to church again. Oh, maybe I should start praying like I used to. This is happening because I'm not praying, right? Don't tell me that you haven't been through those mental hurdles. And that's the danger of religion. It gives the enemy power to disrupt our lives and how we view everything. So if things are bad, obviously God must not be happy with my performance. Galatians 5.4 says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have, alienated, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You've disengaged from God's power and ability. And in this place, this is where we can be easily beaten because we're putting everything on our performance. It's where we lack the stamina to endure. So remember if we we talked about in the foundation series that grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to be like Jesus. Galatians chapter five, verse six says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So our faith is energized and activated by love. I love Jake's message last week on love. And Jake and I have a great time. We love sitting down, talking about truths, dissecting all the wonders of God's kingdom. So we're talking about love this week. And the revelation that I got as, we're, as he's preaching was that love is, we're told that the, whole, the entire law is fulfilled by the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let me, point, let me put this to you. If, if you don't love yourself, Can you possibly love anybody else? Interesting, but what God showed me and what Jake and I were talking about is that we have to see ourselves from God's perspective. We have to see ourselves through the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we begin to see how precious we are to God and how he loves us, then that gives us the ability to love others. So it all starts with love. The entire law is summed up by love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. What we talked about at the beginning, this was kind of the revelation I got and what we talked about at the very beginning before we even started the message. Each and every one of us has been individually crafted by God to do amazing things. You are the special. Each and every one of us is a prized possession in God's eyes. If we get that, listen, if we can get that, loving each other is going to be no problem. Disunity in our churches is going to disappear, and the world is going to see who God truly is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who put you in the wall? Who came to trip you up? Religion, performance-based Christianity. And in here it says, who kept you from obeying the truth? Truth is the perspective of God that establishes who we are in Jesus. So this is the finished work of the cross here. Paul goes on to say in verse 11 that the cross is offensive to people because what the cross symbolizes is that there's nothing that I can do to get God's favor. There's nothing that I can possibly ever do in my performance, in my behavior to get God to love me. He loves me because of the finished work of the cross. That's how we stay in the race. That's how we stay energized to love. We buy into this performance Christianity, we try to do it on our own, we're going to grow weary and fail. Galatians 5:16 says what I say is this. Let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. So we live to focus on the new life. We live to focus on what God has established for us through grace and truth. If we focus on avoiding sin, if we focus on avoiding walking in the flesh, naturally it's just gonna happen. What we focus on, we empower. So it's more important that we focus on the new life and focus on Jesus instead of managing the old. Listen, the old you is dead. It has been put into the grave, crucified with Christ. It's a done deal. Why are we trying to manage that dead dude? Why are we trying to manage that old decrepit self that we're all ashamed of that person's dead there ain't no redeeming that person there was no redemption for that dead part of us God eliminated it and raised you in newness of life so this means we must stop letting our emotions define our relational experience with the Holy Spirit and what I mean by that is like, I loved our worship set tonight it was just so full of truth I've heard it said sometimes, people are like, wow, man, God really showed up in the worship service tonight. And in that same service, I talked to another person who was just like, I ain't feel nothing. So what the enemy would like us to believe is that God's presence comes and goes, or that the level of his presence comes and goes based upon our emotional experience. See where I'm going with this. So in tonight, our worship set I had emotions, but those emotions don't define my experience with the Holy Spirit. The emotions that I had came from my experience with the Holy Spirit. It's the other way around. See, we think that if we don't get goosebumps, we didn't experience the Holy Spirit. And that's a lie that the enemy wants us to believe because it's the whole desperation or lack initiative, I like to call it. The desperation initiative produces emotions that make us feel like we have to get something. It's subtle but it's a potent form of performance Christianity. Just because it produces emotions doesn't mean it was truth. And this is what the desperation or the lack initiative does. It says, okay, you need to be desperate, you need to be hungry, you need to be thirsty, so that way God will satisfy that and you can experience him. Tracking with me? So now I want you to imagine the person that you hold most dear in your life, okay? Imagine that person, okay? Now I'm meeting with you. I'm gonna use my friend Brandon as an example. So Brandon, I come to you, Brandon, listen. Dude, I am so sorry, your wife's gone. She was killed. I'm so, I'm so sorry to be the one I have to tell you this. What, what's that gonna happen to Brandon's emotions? He's gonna be devastated. But then what if I tell him I'm just kidding? I'm just kidding, man, your wife's fine. That's cruel, isn't it? But just because he experienced the emotions, does that make what I told him truth? Something to think about next time you're in that space with God and you're waiting for the emotions to happen first. Truth will cause you to have emotions, but they're emotions of positivity. They're never negative. And this is, anybody ever seen the movie, A Few Good Men? Right, Jack Nicholson, where he says, you want the truth, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. If you haven't seen that, YouTube it, fantastic movie. So Jesus almost had, Jesus kind of had this moment in John chapter six. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. There's truth right there. You can't handle the truth because we'd rather have our emotional experience. The disciples and all who heard Jesus' message on fullness said it was a hard teaching. They said, it was an, they said it was offensive. They said that message was unbearable to hear. It wasn't like it was locker room banter. It's not like Jesus is going, listen, I know the kingdom of God better than anybody else. Believe me. But why didn't they get it? Why did, why did everybody that listened to Jesus say that? Jesus is telling them about fullness. He's saying that there's nothing that you need to get from God. In me, I'm the bread of life. He who believes in me will never hunger. He who follows me will never thirst. Here is fullness of life. Take it. How come they all went away going, that's offensive. That's unbearable. Can't even hear it. Don't even talk about it. Because we like to think that if it doesn't work out, If we don't inherit the promises, if we don't walk in his victory, we get to blame God, (laughs) right? If we don't experience the promise of God, it's easier to blame him than to accept the fact that our heart isn't fully persuaded. And that's a tough, and that's an offensive teaching to hear, right? Are any of you offended that you're not experiencing the fullness of the nature of God because your heart's not fully persuaded? There might be an offense there. It might be unbearable for you to hear, but it puts you in a position to make a choice. And that choice should be life. And this is what the enemy does. Listen, the enemy hasn't changed. The devil hasn't changed a bit. His strategies and his tactics change, but he doesn't change. So in the garden, the devil introduced the concept of lack, causing Adam and Eve to doubt God's good intentions. God had given Adam and Eve a promise, a guaranteed outcome. He told them that if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they will surely die. So here comes the devil, liar, and says, okay, did God really say that you couldn't have anything in the garden? And Eve's response was, no, he just said that we couldn't eat from this tree and we'd surely die. And Satan's like, you're not surely gonna die. You're not gonna die. God God just knows that when you eat that fruit, you're gonna become like him. Another lie, they were already like him. After they fell, what's the first thing that Adam does? When God comes, he blames God. Satan's doing the same thing to us today. He's getting us to doubt the goodness of God. He's getting us to doubt God's desired outcome for us. He's getting us to doubt God's good intentions for us. And then when we do that, then we start to blame God. I'm not experiencing my healing because you, God. We don't say it that blatantly, we just do it more subtly. But it's infected the body of Christ to the degree that we're not the light of the world anymore. Why do you think our culture is the way that it is? because we as believers have laid aside the fullness of God and accepted a false doctrine that says that we need to get something from him and that we're gonna blame him for not experiencing what he gave so much for us to have and enjoy. So here's the difference. The fullness of God convinces us of our new reality in the kingdom. We have a choice. Colossians chapter two says this, for in him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of divine nature, and you are in him made full. And having come to the fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. This is a huge promise, it's huge. Listen, God's promises are his agenda to teach us about fullness. Faith and patience will always inherit the promises of God. So what we're believing and speaking in this relational space of patience will determine the course of our lives. I love Jake's prayer after worship, that this would be a defining moment for you tonight. Because what we're doing with patience is we're getting into this relational space with God and that's gonna determine whether or not we experience the promise. If we're careful, Satan's gonna use our impatience to shipwreck our faith. Can you imagine if Adam and Eve would have taken a brief moment and acted in patience when the enemy was trying to seduce them and tempt them to give away their authority? If they would have paused for just a second, you know what? We've never had one of these animals talk to us, but this serpent's talking to us. It didn't ever ding on them, that's kind of weird. He's contradicting exactly what God said. They never thought, listen, time out, let's go consult with daddy. Daddy, this guy over here, this snake, says that we're not gonna die if we eat this fruit. They never consulted God, they never did. Like, really? First of all, I'd be, I'd be taken back by the talking snake. <laughs> Secondly, you know, God gives you a beautiful woman. That's apparently, that's good. I mean, that's evidence right there of God's goodness. But they never did that. But you can imagine what would happen if they'd have taken a moment to be patient. So if we're not careful, Satan's gonna do the same thing with us. We've got to be able to take that beautiful pause before the rush or before the point of decision. And it doesn't, it doesn't walking in the spirit isn't like you have to go and put yourself in a closet and you know get away from everybody else. It can literally be the the span of one second. Just an internal check. God, what do you think about this? God, is this what you want me to do? God, what do you think about this? Is this what you want me to do? You know? And the more that we get into that relational space with God, patience, the more we're gonna recognize his voice. So what we're doing really is Jesus gave us his authority. So Satan Satan took it in the garden, Jesus gave it back. So Jesus is ascending into heaven and almost picture it like he's handing the car keys over to a really nice car. So he's given the keys to the disciples. All right, you guys go, here's the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to go up to heaven and I'm gonna sit next to God and you're gonna make my enemies into my footstool. So what do you mean? I don't have to be subject to the enemy's attacks in my life anymore? No. You can kick his butt because you've been given authority. So what we're doing is we're learning to persist in the fruit of the spirit because it's the key to our development as we learn how to walk in fullness. Listen, our greatest challenge isn't how much sin we can avoid. Our greatest challenge isn't how to best polish up our behavior. Our greatest challenge is learning how to walk in this fullness. So Wednesday nights is all about application. So here's what I want you to do. I want you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to picture a scenario in your life. It could be a circumstance, it could be a medical report, it could be an anxiety disorder, it could be a physical abnormality any given thing that has happened in your life that is less than the fullness of God. So I want you to imagine that scenario right now. Now I want you to imagine the kingdom of God in all of its fullness, where Jesus Christ has given you everything in regards to an inheritance as a son or as a daughter of God. So now in that space to where you're comparing the two, I want you to begin to magnify the promise of God for your situation. Now what I want you to do going forward is I want you to keep getting in that relational space. Keep partaking of the fruit of the spirit of patience and start seeing that promise as more powerful than the circumstance that you're having to endure or that you're suffering through. Because here's the thing, God will not let you down. I don't care how big the problem is. I don't care how damning the report is. I don't care. My God is bigger. And when you begin to see that, when you begin to believe that, you'll start speaking it. You'll enjoy the fruit of your lips. From the fruit of the Spirit, you'll start speaking the voice of the Spirit to that problem because you're focusing on Jesus and you're telling that problem where to go. For those of you that are here, please remain in the attitude of prayer. For those of you who are here and you wanna experience what life is really like in the kingdom of God, you wanna know what it's like to have Jesus come into your heart and introduce you to who you really are, you're gonna have the opportunity. I'm gonna count to three and when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, so one, you're saying, I am so weary of trying to figure life out. I'm so weary of trying to find where I belong. I'm so weary of all the stuff that I'm having to deal with in life. Two, you're saying, I need a savior. I need a beacon. I need a rallying point. I need a savior. And I want Jesus to be the king of my heart because I know that when he does, all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my shame is completely taken away and I'm finally gonna be awake. I'm finally gonna be fully alive and I'm gonna realize who I am. Three, if that's you, raise your hand. A moment for that to marinate, just in case there's someone here. The one in the back here? Awesome. Would everyone please stand? Let's say this prayer together. Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that your blood has washed my sins away. Thank you that I am a child in your kingdom and I accept your inheritance right now and I will never be the same. In this life and throughout eternity, I am now a part of your family, a part of your kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, guys.